This is Aura with Catholic Girl, and I'm going to go now forward with the readings for today's um, Mass, for which is the Passion of the Lord, uh, on Palm Sunday. Uh, the first reading is Isaiah 50, 4 through 7, and I think this is a really great example of what it means to be a servant, how to fulfill being a servant. Of course, when you first read it, you think of Isaiah talking about what he has to overcome, you know, um, what, how he has to work to fulfill the role that God has asked him to do. And then as you continue reading it, you, you start thinking, you know who the ideal servant is and who fills this is Jesus. Um, you see him at work all the way through this reading. Um, it, you know, here it says, a well-trained tongue. I, I, might, I might know how to speak to the weary. Well, prophets know how to speak to those who have been um, exiled, those who have lost hope, those that are disheartened. Um, Jesus does too. He speaks to us even today, you know, 2,000 plus years later, he's still speaking to us and, and, and knows how to enter into our lives and into our hearts. I, I like here in, the, in Isaiah, it says, morning after morning, he opens my ears that I may hear and I have not rebelled, have not turned back. I think we are, you know, called to be God's servants, you know, to serve others. I love the idea of St. Teresa um, of Calcutta, Mother Teresa. She says, you know, joy, Jesus first or God first, others, and then yourself. You know, I like that, you know, putting ourselves behind, you know, third in line per se. Jesus first, others, and yourself. It's hard work. It will never be easy to serve God's you know, will and to do what is right for our neighbor because we, we want to make ourselves first. I mean, we, we want to choose ourselves, you know, self-preservation, ego. Um, we, it's very hard. But what we find is that we have a divine person who came down and, you know, took on the human body, who took on all the human emotions, poured himself into that role, as we hear in the second reading. And, um, and he does it in perfect servitude, not complaining, not crying, not babbling about what, what he's not getting. You know, he's not saying, what's in it for me, God? What's in it for me? And sometimes when I'm a servant and I'm doing God's will, I find myself, what's in it for me, God? There's nothing in this for me, <laughs> you know, and I, 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 that's my sin. That's what I, I want to better myself about. And I, and that's what your challenge is. You know, when you cry out, you know, well, you're not answering my prayers. Why do I have to serve you? You know, type of thing. Uh, I think that's what's so great about this first reading is it really tells us how to be a good servant. And that, of course, that ideal servant to God is Jesus. The last part of the, of Isaiah 50 that I want to bring to you is that the very last part here. The Lord God is my help. Therefore, I am not disgraced. I have set my face like flint knowing that I shall not be put to shame. 
you know, we get so obsessed about what others think, what we think, that we need to remember it's not what others think. It's not what we think. It's what God thinks. That that permission to do God's will because you love him and you care about what he thinks. And because you are doing his will and you are doing what he asks you to do, you will not be disgraced. You will not have shame. Jesus's death um, and passion was not of disgrace. They mocked him. They made fun of him. They, they cried out, oh, where's your daddy now? You know, they had such mocks and, and hideousness. It was not about him. And not once did he worry about what they thought. He only worried about fulfilling what his father asked him to do. And he didn't worry about what he was seeking. He worried about his love for God and, and fulfilling that will. Now, as we turn and we look at Psalms uh, 22, and it's 8, 9, 17, 18, 19, 20, 23, and 24, you have to just look at it and say, wow, wow. This psalm was written possibly in 900 BC or 500 BC, somewhere in there, you know, it's, it's way before Christ, way before Christ's death. And it is amazing to read Psalms 22 because it's so dead on. I mean, it couldn't be any more dead on than if, if the script itself was written and somebody tucked it back in time. This is a psalm that every Jewish member would have known during that time. Uh, and Jesus fulfilled it. He did right down to the very line when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see that um, in, uh, it says, from noon onward, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, that is Psalms 22, verse number two. And it, it is so amazing that he fulfilled this entire psalm. And right down to taking in the time as he's dying to yell out this quote. He doesn't yell out this quote to uh, quoting Psalms to, to, to admit defeat or that his father has somehow abandoned him. He, he says it to fulfill the, the scripture, to fulfill God's promise. He points us in his very death back to God, back to the whole reason he has come here, is that we need to put our faith in God. We need to serve God and serve his will, which is lifting up others and doing good for others. I like that Psalms reaches out so clearly, you know, through the decades to us into the passion of Christ. Now we have Paul writing to the Philippians in a reading number two. And uh, 
here is, I've mentioned it already, but we see Jesus has emptied himself out to be a human. And he did this to do God's will. I I know I've shared with you guys in the past uh, the story of the farmer who didn't quite believe and he couldn't understand all that hobbledygook uh, about Christ. And, you know, he thought, well, if he was really that, if he really was a God, he would have, he would have smited everybody. You know, why couldn't he just come down here and transform us and just tell us what to do if he really was? And I, I like that story because he's sitting at home while his family's off at church. It's a story by Paul Harvey, by the way. And he uh, hears this bird, birds out on his porch, and they're trapped in this horrible blizzard. And he, they're fighting to come into his house through his grand window. And the birds are pecking at the window trying to come in. And he's like, oh. And he goes out, and he, he tries to help them and, you know, move them away from the window and they, well, they won't move. They're afraid of him. And he, he tries to get them to go to his barn. He turns the light on in the barn. He opens the doors to the barn and they won't go into the barn. He lays food, a trail of food to the barn. The birds don't follow the food. He, uh, he, he tries walking behind them nice and slow, trying to get them, you know, corralled into the barn and they won't go in. And he's just about to give up, and he just feels terrible for these birds. And he thinks, man, if I was just a bird, if I was just a bird, I could, I could tell them where to go, where it's safe. If I was just a bird, they would follow me because I would be one of them. And I, I love that Paul Harvey has such great visual in that story Because it's exactly Christ's story. You know, he poured himself into the role of being a human. And and he took it on with all of its emotion. He denied all of that divinity in himself, you know, to take on this role of a slave. He came in our likeness and he humbled himself to be one of us, you know. And he was obedient to that role, clear to death. You know, he did his teachings. He, he did everything. He fulfilled everything. And right at the end, he could have pulled the reins back. And in fact, when Judas betrays Jesus and brings them to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, Peter cuts off one of the guards ears Jesus stops them and says stop he looks at them and he says listen do you not believe that I could do you do you not think I cannot call up on my father and he will not provide me at this moment with more than 12 legions of angels He told him that, you know, you have nothing to fear. I am, I am doing God's will. It will be hard. I know, but stick with me. Stick with me. I am doing God's will. I love that. I love that even Jesus knows that he could stop all of this anguish, all of this pain for himself. It would be a selfish act. 
But he could do it by just saying the word. And God would have came. And the angels would have came. And it would have been done for all of us. But he didn't. He fulfilled what God, you know, made with man. The covenant God made with man. And he he went through all the steps. And here Paul writes, or to the Philippians so beautifully that we too need to to empty ourselves out. We need to empty out all of our our ego, our bravado, our our sins. We need to dump all of that out of ourselves and and fill ourselves with our baptismal promise. You know, slip ourselves into that promise, that vessel, and become a servant to God, you know. And that servant means that we have to submit ourselves to God. And I think that's the big challenge of our sacraments, is that we have to pour out. There will be no room for Christ in our life if, we, if we're holding on to ourself and our self-idling and um, our, our wants that are only material, if we have all this sinful nature that we're holding up inside of us, there's no room for him here. And so we have to pour ourselves into that, that sacrament. We have to pour, empty ourselves out and let that sacrament be poured into us. We move on to the passion of Christ, uh, according to Matthew. And it's pretty simple. We have the betrayal. We have the preparing for the supper. We have the last supper. We have um, the the faith being shook by fear, right? We have the garden of Gethsemane. We have um, down, let's, let's take a moment here and we look at the garden of Gethsemane. And I want you to look here. It says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. This is an example of love. And so often, especially at your guys' age, youth, uh, you are looking for love. We, we want love. Gosh, I remember that. I, I see it every day um, with my, my teenage daughters, you know, they're like, oh, I just can't wait till I fall in love and get married. <laughs> and I think about that a lot when, it, when it, we talk about, you know, not, not my will, but your will be done, you know, because when you love someone, you are committed to them and you, you can't see anything but them and you're so willing to serve them. When we love someone, we do what we have to do, even if we don't want to do it, right? And Jesus was so completely in line with his Father's will, so completely in love. That's perfect love that the Trinity is, that he was able to deny his own wants to do the wants of his Father, that is a great example of what love is. It's not about, you know, how he makes me feel. 
and Twitter painting and, and like all of that kissy huggy stuff. It's about being so completely in line with another person's will, you know, and, and, and perfect love, meaning that you're one in the same, right? He was able to deny his own wants here and do what his father wanted, you know? And I, I love that line there in, in Gethsemane. And he doesn't say it once, he says it twice. And the second time I can't help but hear that how human he was in nature, you know, human, to be human means we're weak. And his divine nature shows his strength. And it was here, maybe for the first time, we really see an example of how his divinity, you know, pulls him through this very human moment. And that is that he could have been weak and turned away from the pain that he was about to experience. And it turned away from all the sin he was experiencing. But instead, he used that divine nature to be strong enough to, to go through with the passion and to go through with, you know, the salvation part of his uh, mission. Then we have the betrayal of, of Judas, and we also have the betrayal of Peter. And I like the, the, little, the two little things. Well, I forgot the trial. We have the trial. But we have to look at the betrayal of Peter and Judas, too, here in the Passion. Peter denies Jesus three times. And he is saddened by his um, sin of denying God. And when he asks, when we look at that sin cycle, guys, remember when we talked about how the sin cycle works? It comes with a question, a deceitful question. And then we answer either truthfully or deceitfully. That's, we can break it right then and there. If we answer truthfully to the deceitful question, we can break the sin. But most of the time when the deceitful question is asked, like when they said to Peter, oh, you're surely one of them. You even speak like them. He could have denied, or he could have said, yes, I'm a Galilean and yes, Jesus is my savior. And that would have broke that right there. But because he was afraid that he too would suffer the death that Jesus was suffering, he denied. He answered deceitfully. How did he answer? He answered, I do not know the man. I do not know the man. So he gave a deceitful answer. Deceitful answer. And that was his sin. When he looks at how that sin was affecting him, he has another opportunity to break the cycle. When he asks himself the question, now he can ask himself deceitfully, hey, do you know Jesus? You do know Jesus. So why did you deny him? Is it because you don't believe in him? And if he was to answer his, that little voice in his head, well, I, I don't want to suffer like he is. His time has passed. I have to move forward. Or we see Peter break that because he is mournful. He does look into his heart. You know, he does mourn that he denied Christ. He went out and began to weep bitterly. 
He was sorrowful for what he had done. And we later hear, you know, that he, he asked for forgiveness. He does seek that forgiveness. Now let's look at Judas. Judas was, you know, hoping to get Jesus to, you know, flex his muscle, to ride in on that white horse and, you know, show his power. And he thought if he pushed Jesus to do it, he, you know, that would be the way. Because he just couldn't understand why, why would Jesus not come in here on a war horse and get rid of the people that are, that are in his mind, oppressing the people. But Jesus was. He came in on a donkey and he rode right up to the temple. And you see that is the cleansing of the temple that he came to do. He came to cleanse us. He claimed to be, he came to be the new temple for us. And all the people revolted against Jesus here in this passion because they wanted him to, they wanted Jesus to kill their enemy, to, to give them what they deserved. When Jesus says, you know what? Your real enemy is yourself. The sin you carry inside of you. The sin that you are not acknowledging. Your pride. Your envy. Your jealousy. These are the things that are killing you and enslaving you. Not the Romans. You are enslaved to yourself. And I want to free you. And so when Judas discovers that he had done wrong and that he had sentenced an innocent man to death. I have sinned in betraying innocent blood, he says. He goes and he pleads for the life of Jesus, not for the love of Jesus, but for the love of him, for Judas. You know, he did this before to clear his own conscience. So when you look at Judas's sin cycle, we see that he, had a, he asked himself a deceitful question. How can I fix this situation? And he answers in a deceitful way to himself. Oh, if only, if only the Jewish authority rescind, then I will be free of this sin. But that's, that was so deceitful that when he looks again at his sin, he, he can't find a way out because the Jewish authority are not going to back down. They're going to crucify Jesus. They've already put the motion, the will in motion. And Judas is like, oh, if they would only rescind, if they would only take this back, then my sin would be resolved. But the truth of it is, is <laughs> that's not how life works. Judas needed to take responsibility for his sin. He needed not to be selfish and go and commit suicide. He didn't need to, to go and plead for the Jewish community to take back what they're doing. He needed to go and, and he had an opportunity to. He could have gone to the foot of Jesus and said, I am so sorry, I have sinned against you. He could, have, he could have helped carry the cross. He could have begged Jesus all the way to the top of the skull hill and asked for forgiveness. He could have, but he didn't. 
He was shameful and he was selfish. And so selfish that he even rushed his own death by hanging himself. When I think of that sin, I I can't help but think of Adam and Eve. I've said it to you guys before. What if after they sinned against God, instead of being ashamed and hiding from God, what if they acknowledged their sin? What if they went to God, fell on their knees, fell, hid their face from God and begged, oh, begged, I am sorry, I have sinned against you. But as we've discussed in class, you know, Eve said it was the snake's fault. And Adam, Adam says, it is you, God. It is your fault. And that woman. I mean, Adam couldn't take any responsibility. Judas couldn't take any responsibility. These are the deadly sins that we're talking about when we say go to confession. You need to go to confession. You need to go and confess your sins. We need to, so that we're not Judas, so that we're not Adam and Eve cast out, right? We need to acknowledge our sins. We need to ask for that forgiveness, just as Peter did, so that we can break that sin cycle. The Old Testament is filled over and over again in the passion of Christ. Like I said, with Psalm Uh, 22, we have also uh, more fulfillment throughout here. We have, you know, the 30 pieces of silver that fulfills Jeremiah's prophet uh, prophecy. Uh, We have the, uh, the cloak being, you know, um, bartered for um, the crown of thorns. This all fulfills Old Testament. Um. There's only one last thing. I mean, you could, you could spend hours looking over this last gospel. But there's this one last thing I like to point out to my kids. And it is that the mothers were there at the cross. And I love that the mothers are there. And we have Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. And they are there. And these Marys and and mothers are, you know, Mary, the mother of of God. And then we have Mary, uh, the mother of James the Lesser and Joseph, um, her son. And then we have, uh, uh, oh my gosh, I cannot think of her name. It starts with an S. Uh, (laughs) Mother to uh, John, you know, the beloved disciple and his brother, James the Greater. And we have these women there uh, that travel through the whole passion of Christ and are present. You know, they're, they're present at the, at the supper. They're present, you know, all the way through the, the carrying of the cross. They're present. And they're there, even you see it in scripture, they were there when Christ took in his last breath. You know, they were present. And then they're there when he's taken down from the cross and they're there and prepare the body for the tomb. And then when they sit, roll the stone across the tomb, they are there. And they sit and they face the tomb. I love the power that mothers have. And, and how faithful they are in serving. And I think it's another great example 
of how to be a good servant, you know, being faithful, even when it's painful to watch, but being faithful to God and and fulfilling your role in God's plan. And that's what those women were able to do. And I, I love that idea. I love that idea. So I wish you all the very best for, for this Palm Sunday. And I'm going to try all week long, because um, this is the, a holy week, um, tr- I'm going to try to post as we go all week long with all the different readings. Uh, but for sure, I'll come back and I'll post one on Thursday for the Mass of the Lord's Supper. All right. So um, until then, I love you and God bless. And I hope this helps you.